We've got two great things. We have a lot of people sharing today. And first up, we have uh, my friends from uh, CVR. And uh, if you're like, man, Joe seems a little different today, it's because I have all these friends visiting. I don't know if you ever have people visit your house and it kind of puts you in a mood. Um, I'm a little giddy um, because of it. But I have some, we have friends who I consider friends who are also partners in our work around violence reduction. Um, and so CVR is here. They're going to come and share a couple minutes. And then after that, we'll get to hear from one of our families uh, um, around uh, our continuing our, our sermon series. So come, come on up. I got two mics you guys can share. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I think we're eternally grateful um, for Pastor Graves and City View Church in general. Um, we met Pastor Graves probably a couple years ago now, um, and I think I would second what he said about becoming friends um, over time and um, meeting many of you along the way. So a couple things I would just highlight um, is that we appreciate that everybody um, is working together as community. So um, that is what Columbus Violence Reduction really is about, is we have a whole community moral voice where we work together and strategize how to help the community um, be involved and feel involved and be a part of reducing violence within the city. So that is um, really a main part of what we do. So as it relates specifically to City View Church, um, we definitely appreciate the financial donations. I will say um, wholeheartedly that City View Church and um, the people that belong and are a part of stood up CVR financially as it relates to specific needs of our participants 100% of the way. And I say I get emotional even thinking about it because we're part of the city of, the, of Columbus um, employment-wise, and obviously they've supported our efforts too. But the fact that the community came together from the very beginning to provide what we would call big, small needs, which you'll hear a little bit about in a second, but to individual participants that we're working with to reduce violence is amazing. And so we very much appreciate that partnership. That said, we also appreciate the ongoing work um, that the church does. And so we work with Pastor Graves um, on a pretty regular basis. Um, he attends all the meetings. We make new meetings. We do um, different initiatives along the way. He's helping us with several different things. and. Um, so are many people within the church. And so even, um, well, someone else is going to talk about the Christmas event um, and the support for that, but, you know, providing presents to all of our participants and their children and families was amazing. And not just, again, financial, but the work behind the scenes and coming along that night and all of the day-to-day -day work that comes with it. So it's not just a financial thing. It's also an ongoing day-to-day -day, um, being involved and Really, I think just community, love, and support is what we feel from City View, um, what we feel is a part of the community, and we are just super um, happy to be here. We wanted to be here to say thank you, but also just to um, be with you. So thank you for having us. Um, I don't think I introduced myself. I should have started with that. I'm Molly. I'm the director of CVR. Um, and this is some of our team. We have some other people um, that aren't here, but um, this is um, Sean, and he'll introduce himself, and they'll just have a little bit more specific information um, in their roles and how they've and we've worked together with City View. But thank you for having us. Um, we very much appreciate you. Good morning. You got two mics. You got to use the mic, though. I do. We got people online. Oh, okay. 
Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Sean Smith, Intervention Manager with Columbus Violence Reduction. Um, first off, thank you for having us here today. Uh, we appreciate um, you allowing us to be here to spend you know, service with you um, and take communion. So like Molly said, I seen somebody earlier, and I cannot recall your name, and I don't know where you're sitting. Oh, there you are. You came for Christmas. Um, so I was specifically wanted to speak about that. The Christmas event, Pastor Graves, the wife, um, Finn even came out and joined us. Yeah, he joined us for a while. And then I cannot remember your name, but um, Ariel, Ariel was present with us as well. So um, we appreciate not only the gifts, but the fact that you were there. You know, we followed each other all around the city, right? Um, going from door to door, passing out gifts. And it wasn't just about the gifts. Um, it wasn't just about the gifts that were provided to um, the participants, but it was about the community showing up for them. A lot of them don't have people to, to show up for them, to, um, to show that support, that encouragement, um, that acknowledgement of their presence, their, you know, the respect for them and what they're trying to achieve. So we really do truly appreciate that. Um, as far as like the financial donations and some of the things that are provided to our participants through, through you all, we, can, I mean, we start as small as like bus passes, right? So they get weekly bus passes, monthly bus passes. Um, those help them get to and from work, to and from interviews, um, appointments, a number of different things. We have Walmart gift cards that we provide um, to these people. And recently we've had a couple of people who have been displaced for different reasons, um, whether it be moving to a new apartment or one of our newest participants, their family had a house fire. Um, so we were able to take some Walmart gift cards to provide to them and get them some um, you know, some things around the house that they needed. We were able to provide them toiletries, things like that. Um, we all also used those Walmart gift cards to buy people um, steel toe boots, right? And that might not seem like a lot, but for them, that's everything that they need to go get a job, to get everything started, um, to try to be able to come back and be productive and, you know, try to support themselves and their family. So. Um, those are some of the smaller things. The larger things, Pastor Graves has met me and a participant at Advanced Auto Parts and paid for a car part. You know, he showed up and dropped off a brand new car battery for another participant who needed a car battery to get to an interview so he can get signed up for a CDL class. So, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Um, two of our interventionists here will probably be able to speak more specifically about some of their participants and some of the things that have been provided by you all. But again, it's, it's the support um, it's the encouragement, is knowing that we have people out there who don't even necessarily live in the communities that might be impacted, but still care and still provide that genuine concern for the individuals that we work with. So we truly, truly appreciate that. Hi, my name is Janae Patrick. I'm an intervention specialist at Columbus Violence Reduction. Um, I'm going to start with the Christmas. Um, it was nothing like seeing the faces of the individuals we were dropping the toys off to. I don't think we got to see as many of the kids, but to see a man excited about accepting gifts to give to his child for Christmas, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Um, and it wasn't a thing that made them feel belittled or small because the gifts were coming from someone else for them to give to their child. Giving them that comfort and having you guys come with us to even deliver those gifts. They got to see what community really looks like because it's not about the color of our skin or the neighborhood we grew up, or where we came from. Those are the things that we need to build them up to know that community still matters and that community still cares. Um, for some of us, of course, we take for granted those big, small things. 
with being able to just have the shoes that we need to go to work. You know, for them, that's huge because if you don't have the steel-toed shoes, what does that mean? You can't go to work to make the money to provide for your families, right? So us providing them with those things. I have a young lady that's um, doing rehab. I used the Walmart gift card to buy her some inspirational books and journals and a pen and highlighters so she could know, you know, that people care. And you can journal your journey because somebody else will be able to have that journey to help them go through theirs. But just the small things that we provide that mean the big things. Like it changes lives. She tells me how she reads those books. Of course, she's struggling in some of those areas, but when she has time to sit down and I have those conversations with her, for her to be able to pick up a book that inspires her and somebody even who's come through a journey like hers. I was intentional about the books I picked up, but having one of those Walmart gift cards allowed me to do that. So it's those big, small things, and we appreciate all you guys do. Good morning, everyone. I'm Nello Jennings. I'm also an intervention specialist with CVR. And just to touch on some of those big, small things, a lot of times it just helps provide the opportunity to also let these gentlemen or young ladies sustain what they want to do. So you can always want to go in and get a job, but without some of the stuff that you guys help provide, they want to be able to sustain those opportunities. We have one gentleman who's kind of like a, one, of, uh, one of the proudest participants in my eyes just because he persevered with keeping his mindset and just like, I want to stay out the way, I want to get a job. Went to multiple job interviews, didn't quite get hired, but then once he landed that opportunity, now he has to get those steel toe boots to start. He also had tattoos on his face that might make somebody, you know, wary of his presence being at that employment site. So that um, Walmart gift card also provided some makeup for him to cover those tattoos. And he was in a position where he had no pride in a way where it's like, hey, I'll cover that because I really want this opportunity. Since then, trying to get to the place where he's staying now, all the way out west, his job is out east, so those lift cards and those bus passes help him get there. So just with us being there to try to give him that little support is one thing, but to also have those means in between to really get there and to let him know that there's people with you and you can sustain this stuff if you really want it has been more than a blessing. And these guys always let us know all the time that they get how much they appreciate all we do for them. And a lot of that is because of the help that we receive from y'all as well. So just want to thank you. I don't like the mic, I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, I got you, I got you. So a couple things, core values of CBR, there's about six of them. I don't know if I can remember all of them off the top of my head, but I'm gonna try. First is to do no harm. Second is to strengthen the community's capacity to prevent violence. Third is to enhance police legitimacy. Four is helping those one. And five is getting deterrence right. So there's five. For us, and what um, drives us in our work is helping to strengthen that community's capacity to prevent violence. That is a core value of the work that we do. And what's represented in this house here is you're strengthening the community's capacity to prevent violence. You are setting an example. You are setting an example in this community of what that looks like. There are a lot of entities in the city of Columbus that 
talk the talk, you guys are walking the walk, man. And it is, it is incredibly powerful. The day that we connected with your pastor was a great day for CBR. It honestly, honestly was. And we are, we are very thankful. So. Boom. Thanks so much, friends. Um, yeah, thanks. The, the, hardest, the hardest part in all of this, and I've, me and Melissa from Mothers of Murdered Columbus Children have had this conversation, is you know, this is just what we believe in, and obviously people are really grateful, as you've heard today, but um, you know, we don't do it for that. You know? like, this is just, you know, you, you don't have, they want to come and say thanks to you all, and, uh, and now we can just move forward together, and we're in this together. Um, we're not done with service. We've got more to hear. So that's great. And we, yeah, we're, 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 we're doing okay, Jesse. It'll be fine. That closing song might get pushed to next week, though, Dan, wherever you ended up. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jesse and Kelly are going to come and share. We're in a series right now on mental health, and uh, we're talking about you know, the struggle is real, and Jesse is a licensed social worker, helped kind of think through this series, and uh, here you go, I got one for each of you, wherever you want it, and uh, part of the conversation we had was spending some time talking about religious trauma, and, and the simple truth of the matter is uh, many people in our community have been hurt by the church. Um, if you've not been hurt by the church, be grateful, you know, because the church is not perfect and people have had negative experiences. And so we thought that was an important part of our community's conversation around mental health. So go for it. Okay. So when I uh, present and share about mental health and trauma in a range of spaces and communities, I always have two rules for myself. Number one is end on time, because nobody wants to be held late at a meeting. They want to go home and get places. So we're going to try to end on time, even though we had a lot. And it's really, like, intimidating to follow such amazing people. I also just want to say real quick, if you were like, I really should sign up and learn more about community violence reduction. Also, when I speak, I usually give people a hard time if their phones are out or they're, like, on their laptop or whatever. If you want to learn about their stuff and sign up for the undertripledigits.org, take your phone out and just do it right now. Like, we won't be offended. <laughs> so just... Get your phone out and sign up for it now because this stuff is really, really good. So number one, end on time. And number two, I try not to cuss. <laughs> Actually, I think it'd be okay if we cuss here more than in some of the other places when I'm presenting to like foster parents or elementary school teachers and I get really worked up and I'm like, oh, okay, but we'll try to keep that here too. Do you want to introduce us? Um, I'm Kelly and I'm here to keep us on track. So... Um, <laughs> Jesse and I have been a part of your community here with our kids, Alaylee and Evelyn, um, for a little under two years. Um, so we're grateful for this space to kind of share a little bit of our hearts and thinking around um, where we are with mental health and how that is impacted by religious trauma, church experiences, and how that affects our parenting. So we'll share a little bit about that this morning briefly, very briefly. Yeah, so why share about religious trauma in a series um, about mental health. So when thinking about mental health, um, our lives, our relationships, um, for us, some of the biggest challenges to our mental health have been around church and faith. And I don't know if you can relate to that or not, um, but for us growing up evangelical, um, you might even say growing up in a fundamentalist 
uh, environment, living and working um, in evangelical settings through much of our life. Uh, we've had a lot of amazing, wonderful experiences in church, and we've had some really difficult experiences that have really hurt us. And so also talking about mental health, one of the first key things is to realize and know that you're not alone, to kind of normalize um, that if you are like me or you're like us, just coming into church can be hard. Um, just walking into a church space, hearing um, sometimes religious language can be difficult. And so we want to normalize that and to say that um, if doing some of the church things is hard for you, you are not alone in that. Um, if you have that doubt, if you've had that isolation, um, you're not alone in that. So with trauma, she's going to want to jump ahead. I want to say another thing here, right? Uh, what happens with trauma is that we have a painful experience that happens, and then we are reminded of that painful experience, sometimes through a small way, right? So something big happens, and then something small happens that reminds you of that thing before. And so we kind of commonly call that, you know, a, a trigger, or we call that being activated, having this trauma response. Um, and so that trauma response, again, can happen in church, right? Like, I you know, even, even this morning, even experiencing that, right? Thinking about, you know, there are just images and words and sounds and phrases that can remind me of times in the past of that hurt. Um, the thing about religious trauma is that it adds this layer of this place and this space and this community that was supposed to be a safe space. That's supposed to be where we come to find healing, connection, and community results in isolation and pain and hurt. And then that kind of makes everything really mixed up and flips upside down. Um, and so that's a little bit of what we've experienced. Um, Kelly will say a little bit more about where we're going to go from there. Um, oftentimes we feel like um, if you are understanding or some of these words resonate with you or even if they don't, I appreciated when Madeline shared about sometimes hearing what people are thinking or what they've done opens our eyes to perhaps be more sensitive to what's surrounding us, um, even if it's, if it's not fully related to you. And um, hopefully some of that will be helpful. Um, as we think about, we want to just share some simple concepts or maybe some phrases that have kind of helped us as we've moved forward in that. Um, what that trauma is like, what we've learned about ourselves in spite of maybe what have been in the past. So... All right, so uh, what is religious trauma? We'll try to kind of give you a little bit of a concept around it. Um, as Joe mentioned, I'm a social worker, and so I had, um, he spoke last week about adverse childhood experiences or kind of childhood trauma or trauma that adults were experienced. Um, and then uh, around 2020, I heard about a training about uh, adverse religious experiences. And I was sort of like, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, that's a different way to think about that. So I participated in that training, and um, I learned about the definition of religious trauma. Um, there's sort of a long one, and then I'll sort of summarize it again. The long one is uh, physical, emotional, or psychological response to religious beliefs, practices, or structures that are experienced by an individual as overwhelming or disruptive, and it has a lasting adverse effect on a person's physical, mental, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. That's the definition from the Religious Trauma Institute, which if you're curious about learning more, they're a great resource. I kind of summarize this up and shorten it by saying a negative, ongoing, overwhelming response to an experience that is associated with religion. So 
you know, before I really kind of learned about this definition, um, I would have a lot of negative experiences in church. We um, have lived in Columbus for most of our lives and partially because of some of our religious trauma, but for other reasons, you know, going to college and coming back, we've been in several different churches and there would be times where we would go to church together and I would be having this physical overwhelming response. I would be gripping the sides of the seat or the pew or furiously, you know, writing on a notebook or, um, you know, just leaving the service feeling just overwhelmed with all of this emotion and anger. And I didn't connect that it was because of previous experiences that I had. Um, And I felt really disturbed. I felt this kind of overwhelming response. Um, And then Kelly's looking at me like, what's going on? All we did was go to church. <laughs> like, why is it such a big deal to like sing Amazing Grace? And I'm like, do you remember all of the other times when we sang Amazing, you know, uh, and where we did this? And do you remember what that meant? You know, so uh, I don't know if you want to say anything about what it's like to deal with me like that. <laughs> that might also be a theme of this is that yeah. you have to go through these experiences and you have to go through a journey of mental health together with somebody. Um, One of the things that's been impactful for me is looking back and realizing it's okay that we're not in that same space. Um, And giving the opportunity for that frustration and confusion. And I maybe wasn't as far along in my deconstructive feel when those visiting churches started to happen. And I just thought, well, can we not just pick a church already? Like, could I find one that the music's not too loud or this isn't too frustrating for my kid or, you know. And, And... but I just wasn't in that same space. Um, and that's okay. Like, giving the time for that doesn't mean that my partner and I have to be fully matched up on that, that I can do some of that breathing and deep work to just let it settle and be. Um, but I wasn't necessarily that patient in the moment. <laughs> so looking back, that's my, my tip on that one for sure. Do you want to say anything about growing up at all, or do you just want to jump ahead yep, a bit? Yep, jump ahead. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so suffice it to say, both of us grew up in um, evangelical settings. Going to church was really not an option. Um, my dad is a um, conservative evangelical Lutheran pastor. Um, we both went to private Christian high school. It's where we met. We went to private Christian college together. Um, we worked in a Christian school together. We have, you know, kind of lived in the evangelical community for quite a while. Um, and so, you know, doing church and that, you know, it becomes so weaved into your life that you sort of don't even realize how it's impacting you. And again, kind of thinking about what this trauma response can look like. And, and these are, we're, we're kind of also just sort of sharing some of the funny, lighter stories because we're not trying to call out or um, necessarily kind of put anyone on blast for anything that happened. But one of the times when I sort of realized like, oh, I have some things going on. Um, we were celebrating Easter at my parents' house um, with my siblings and the, the cousins. So there were about 15 or 18 of us there. And it was uh, during kind of the uh, COVID years where we were doing all of our family gatherings outside. For whatever reason that year, uh, my mom decided that the perfect Easter meal was uh, buffalo wings. Yeah, chicken wings. Chicken wings. That's good. what says Easter, chicken wings. <laughs> um, so we had chicken wings, and so we were prepping all these chicken wings and the side dishes, and everyone brought all the food, and we were out on the back patio, and the kids are all playing, you know, and it's kind of a hot day, and they get the food out, and they're setting it out, and the, the bugs are starting to come around, and Finally, everything's ready to go. We're ready to eat. And my dad comes out and he says, okay, before we celebrate and have this meal together, let's read the Easter story. 
And I just was like, Dad, we are ready to eat, man. And so out of nowhere, I just yell out at him in front of my whole family, no one cares. Which was very uncomfortable for me. Um, I thought I was saying what all my siblings thought. No. no. But they looked at me like, shut yeah, up. Yeah, let's keep it rolling. But really, it was a moment where I was like, oh, I have some things to work through. <laughs> like, oh, right? And, and I think maybe that's kind of one of the things we learned in our journey through religious trauma was when you have those responses that are confusing, when you find yourself going, why is this bothering me so much? Why am I having such a reaction? Why am I so worked up about this? It is likely that there, it is a response to something more underlying. Um, and we learned a lot of that through a group that we're going to refer to a lot here called the Parenting After Religious Trauma or PART group. So we're going to talk about this part support group quite a bit. And Kelly so as we, we moved through the pandemic, we joined this virtual group. Um, our girls were about seven and nine. And um, we this group was wet, led by Cindy Wong Brandt. Um, she's a, a forward thinking. Um, she wrote this book, Parenting Forward. Um, and she um, opened the door to participate in this group for us where we got to join with other parents who are thinking about this layer of okay, I've got things I'm thinking about and doing, but what does that mean for my kids? And how do I interact and work with that? Um, we didn't necessarily identify ourselves as having like religious trauma, as Jesse mentioned, but through that group, we kind of learned about some of those hurts that had impacted us. And we thought that perhaps we could share a little bit about some of the things we learned from them today. So it's not necessarily that religion is bad, or traumatic. That's not the message that we're trying to take here. Um, it's very much like relationships. There are healthy relationships and there are unhealthy relationships. In that same way, there are healthy religious experiences that are wonderful, and also there could be some unhealthy ones. So really that key is learning the signs of when you're in that unhealthy space and recognizing that in yourself. Um, so here's some examples of some of those kind of like um, experiences that may be slightly unhealthy. Yeah, so we're going to kind of go through like three examples of what might be an unhealthy religious experience. Um, and again, these are maybe kind of general so as not to um, call out specific things. And we'll offer a reframe for that, what it could look like uh -huh. instead. Yeah. So one is uh, an unhealthy message is that you can't trust yourself and your own intuition because you are sinful. So this might be a message that you have heard a lot in some settings is that your body is sinful, the flesh. Is sinful, that you are sinful, that you are depraved. Um, and when you, again, kind of grow up or spend a lot of time in church and you're told again and again and again, don't trust yourself, do what the church says. You, you know, you can't be trusted, only do what your pastor says um, or what church leadership says. Um, and so we can maybe develop either, you kind of don't have any skill whatsoever to even know how to trust yourself or even kind of know what it is that I want or what's important or good for me, um, or you start to kind of second guess your intuition. So in our support group, one of the key kind of healthy reframes that we learned was learning to trust our own body and trust what our body is telling us. Um, if you've done any kind of work in mental health or in any kind of trauma recovery work, 
um, doing what they call somatic practices or body-based practices. So breathing, which was one of the regulation cards that Joe gave us, or movement um, or music. And all of these things is learning that your brain and your body are connected. And so when you start to break out in a sweat or you start to have a heart uh, beat is rushing or you start to feel that tension, your body is sending you a signal and saying, you're not safe, you're not safe, you're not safe. And again, it feels counterintuitive, it feels weird that you would not feel safe in church, which is supposed to be a safe place. But for many folks, particularly folks who we recognize we carry a lot of privilege, um, for folks who don't carry the same privilege that we do, that might be happening even more um, for them to be in that uns unsafe place. So I was kind of realizing that I would have these gut reactions, I would have this tension, this fight or flight would kick in. Um, so the part group really helped us to learn you know, breathe through it, look around your surroundings, just kind of get grounded. Um, and so for me, even in church spaces, there are times where I, I will feel that reaction kicking in. And, um, you know, in this space, I appreciate the, the windows. I spend a lot of time studying the windows, um, looking at kind of the images. Um, I look at the ground. I, I pay attention to just my own body and my own hands to, to breathe through and feel grounded and remind myself that I'm safe. You know, Joe's been kind of joking that emails don't equal bears. Um, emails aren't dangerous. Sometimes church feels dangerous. Sometimes, you know, the benediction or a song or communion. And I have to remind myself, I'm not in danger. I can keep myself safe. Um, and learning to identify that response and know what that feels like. So that's one of the first things. The second thing, an unhealthy message um, could be uh, to give everything you have to God. Again, think about like in relationships, there are messages in relationships where this isn't necessarily inherently a bad message, but when it can be weaponized or when it can be kind of abused or said to an extreme, it can be unhealthy. So sometimes in religious spaces, giving everything you have to God means do more, do more, do more. You always have to give more. You always have to commit to more. You always have to give more time. And it becomes all about the church setting. Um, I'm so grateful for this community and how much it's growing. And you, we have to have a, a handout with all of the things that are going on every week. And I look at that list of things that are going on and I'm like, I'm not doing enough. I need to sign up for more, but You'll I don't do have enough all. time. You'll do them all. Yeah, so there's this unrealistic expectation to do it all, to give everything, to give more, to give more, to give more. And there's, there's rarely a message in church, although it does happen sometimes here, thanks to Joe for that, of saying, do less. Stop giving. Take care of yourself. That's not like a Jesus message you hear a lot, right? Um, instead, it's what would Jesus do? And I was thinking about this sermon. I'm like, okay, but wait, but I'm not Jesus. Like, so I need to ask, like, what would I do? <laughs> I need to ask, well, what would I do? And what's right for me to do? Which is not always everything. Sometimes I have to have boundaries, okay? Um, so, yeah, having boundaries in unhealthy religious environments, we don't have boundaries. We have to give more and more and more, and that leads to burnout. And when you're burning out, you're not healthy, and then a lot of the work you're doing is not healthy. And Kelly's seen me burn out several times. When I think about that layer as a parent... Constantly you think, you know, you ask yourself, do, am I doing the right thing? Is this what my kid needs? What, what's the answer to this? And one thing that I've learned, I feel like, in that layer of, well, I can help my kids most when I'm the best version of myself. And so sometimes that pause is, I don't have to be perfect, but I need to figure out what's healthy for me. So we intentionally don't go to church. Sometimes, yeah. 
we're here today, so. <laughs> but I cannot tell you how hard it is for me when I wake up and I know that I'm tired. I know that I feel exhausted. I know that I feel burned out. <laughs> and it's a Sunday morning and I feel like I should be there. But that's an unhealthy message that I have to remember to learn that what is mine to do in that time, what is mine to do that day, what is healthy for us, how can we be the best versions of ourselves for our children, for each other, and for ourselves, and sometimes that means resting, and sometimes that means saying no, and that means stepping back. Uh, last, uh, oh sorry, one of the last unhealthy messages, we have two more quick ones. Um, disagreement, or uh, disagreement is disunity and heresy. So you may have experienced this, that if you think or believe differently than the community that you are part of, you are a heretic, and then that can lead to exile from the community. Um, a more healthy reframe would be that you can have freedom to set your own boundaries, also in kind of what you believe. Um, we have a lot of family, a lot of close friends, and ourselves, we've also experienced breaks in relationships, being separated from communities because of a difference of belief. Sometimes not even saying, I definitely believe differently on this, but I just am wondering or I'm thinking about, and even just saying those words have resulted um, in losing jobs, losing um, places in community, losing friendships. Um, and so frequently, we find ourselves still when we're in evangelical communities, where we you know, live in a conservative part of the city, we still have a lot of friends and family um, who are evangelical and conservative. We have differences around theology, around politics, around LGBTQ issues, um, around immigration, heaven and hell, media, whatever. And so we'll have these conversations and we feel this internal pressure of, what if they know that I don't think the same way that they do? What if they know that I believe differently? And again, kind of feel that trauma response. So some of the phrases that kind of helped me is when I think about, um, you know, listening to someone or having conversation, a simple phrase of, huh, I see that differently. Doesn't mean that I have to go into detail. I don't have to argue with you. I don't have to tell you what my thing. I can turn around then, nod and walk away and just acknowledge that I see that differently than you do. I also think there is a space that you can leave well. When a season ends in a community or a group, it doesn't mean that something had to have gone badly. If you're like, this has been my time here and it's been great and I'm gonna move on to something different, it doesn't mean that there was turmoil or conflict. Um, leaving well is possible. So when we think about then that last part She's of- She's not gonna let me say anything more. No, we're gonna move going. on, yes. Um, from that parenting perspective, one thing that's really been impactful and known for us is that our kids have voice. Um, and they are 100% humans with opinions and knowledge and ideas that are fabulous. And the more I hear from them, the more I grow as a person. Um, so recognizing we're learning to kind of shift that expectation of how we grew up to give them that space to be themselves. I think like we kind of grew up thinking, how do we make sure that our kids believe the right thing? And how do we make sure that our kids do the right thing? And how do we as parents have this responsibility to lock our kids into the right way? And we've sort of released ourselves from that and said like, oh, like they're good to begin with. And like they will, they are amazing and will do and, and are in the right way. And so we kind of give them the freedom and the space to be themselves. An example of that, we give them those boundaries where they decide we don't ask them to hug other adults. It's a very thing growing up as a kid. I was told all the time, say goodbye to so-and-so, hug so-and-so. I don't say that to my kids. I let them decide. They can if they want to. 
They, can, they also have ideas of how they can wave or say goodbye or whatever. They don't have to feel this pressure to conform to something that I put on them. Um, and my hope is when I see other friends and their kids interacting in that same way, we're experiencing new phases of humans and how they interact with each other. Um, one time in the car, I mean, they have their own ideas and thinking. I, I think, you know, my youngest, she was about three, and I'm driving lots of time in the car. I was very frustrated. So I took a deep breath, and I was counting. And she goes, good job, Mommy. You're using your breathing. <laughs> because they know how to self-regulate and solve their problems, I don't always have to be the one doing it. That story wasn't in our script. No, no but it would... <laughs> It was short, though, so short. <laughs> short like you. Okay, uh, this is our kind of final thoughts, yeah. and so um, uh, just kind of one kind of final thing to, to land on, and we do appreciate the opportunity to share about this, and I think just in summary, just trying to give voice and recognition that as we're talking about mental health and the theme that the struggle is real, um, certainly the struggle with um, depression, with anxiety, with um, mental health challenges in life is there, and, and also the struggle with church is real and the struggle with faith is real um, and just giving voice to that that again there can sometimes be these unhealthy messages um, and healthy uh, hopefully we can find some healthy spaces so one very small phrase in scripture that I come back to frequently um, comes from Zechariah um, and it just says uh, come back to the place of safety all you prisoners of hope and this idea of being a prisoner of hope has kind of captured me through a lot of my life. Um, I shared with our friends from the part group that we were giving this um, talk at church about this topic. I was embarrassed to tell them about it because for a lot of them, they have been so hurt by church and religion. They've deconstructed so far that they are not in a place where they're going back to church. They're not um, part of religious communities anymore. Um, and I respect that for them and I'm, I'm very happy for them and they're in good, healthy places, which is wonderful. And we have to be honest and respect our journey. And I am someone who is a prisoner of hope. And in spite of all of the things, I still have hope. And in spite of all of the things, as much as even when I kind of came to a place, and I was like, oh, I don't have to go to church. Ooh, that's so freeing. But I want to. So what do I do with that? <laughs> I, w I do want to be here as much as it causes me distress sometimes. Um, and so working through our healing and finding our place, um, whether it's here um, and when it talks about this place of safety, hopefully that place of safety can be um, in a space like this. But that place of safety might be the outdoors on a beautiful sunny day like this. It might be your living room. It might be um, relaxing in bed. It might be um, in a bookstore or a library. We like, like, we like libraries. Libraries are safe places for us. Um, so hopefully... Um, this has been a safe space. We appreciate you all holding this safe space for us um, and for letting us share. Thank you. Thank you. What? This one. Yeah, sorry, James. Uh, thank you so much. That was fantastic, and I uh, really appreciate it. We are going to adjust because we have an 11 o'clock service we're going to get ready for. I do want to let you know that next door, we have some donuts and coffee, and CVR's got a table set up. So in between the services, I encourage you, if you're able, to go over there and say hi, and introduce yourself, hear some more stories. Great place to you know, connect. Um, 
there's also resources for the mental health talk. We'll make sure that ends up on our website um, if uh, when, when we post the, the conversation to our podcast. And uh, I just leave you with this very simple blessing. I hope that you know that you are deeply loved by God and by us. That no matter what you've experienced or what you've done or what's been done to you, that you are a beautiful, beloved child of God and that God wants you to feel safe more than God wants you to be at church. But hopefully you can feel safe at this church. So go in peace and know that you are loved. And uh, I encourage you to come over here and chat, or you can chat downstairs, and then we're going to be getting ready very quickly for our 11 o'clock service as they start coming in. Thanks a bunch.